people will be going back and they will be wanting to have that physical experience. Like they want to see the things and touch the items that they're buying. But I think at the same time, it's going to be different because they're so used to now being able to buy everything online that the physical retail center is going to have to become more of an experience versus solely just focused on driving that sale. You're listening to Identity Revolution, a podcast from the consumer identity management experts at Infutor Data Solutions. In each episode, we invite industry leaders for data-driven discussions on all things marketing, analytics, and identity. Join us as we take a deep dive into industry trends, strategies, and the future of data technology. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Identity Revolution podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Heidi Bailey of the Integer Group. Heidi, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing today? I got to be honest, I'm a little bit miserable today since I am living in the suburbs of Chicago and it's a balmy 36-ish degrees with some snow falling on the ground and on April 20th, which I don't know. I just, why are we living here? <laughs> you're I don't in know. The Texas? <laughs> what's, the, what's the temperature down in Texas today? Is that where you're at? Yeah, you should definitely come down here today. It's beautiful. It's like 60, 60 outside right now and sunny, but it's going to get a little bit chillier this evening. But yeah, it's been beautiful weather. Yes, I know I, I get upset at Chicago weather, but uh, you know, in May and October, it is arguably the best city in the world, Chicago, I always argue. So those are two months that if you're going to visit this beautiful city, I highly recommend coming to Chicago in those two months. Stay away though for the remaining 10. <laughs> Absolutely. Looking forward to talking to you today because a lot we're going to discuss a lot on the future of retail, which is and retail marketing. And I think it's just an absolutely fascinating time with what we've gone, unfortunately, gone through in the pandemic over the last year. And now we're emerging from that. What are the changes that are going to take place? We're going to get into a variety of topics. Before we do that, let's learn a little bit more about yourself and the integer group. If you don't mind giving us a little quick 411 and telling us a little bit about the company. Yeah, for sure. So the Integer Group is one of the world's leading commerce agencies, and we're also a key member of the Omnicom Group, as well as Omnicom Commerce Group. And so really the work that we kind of thrive on and the challenges that we love to get from clients are really uncovering, creating, and kind of sustaining growth for the brands that we work on. And these include anywhere from clients like Starbucks, Frito-Lay, AT&T, amongst many. And typically, we explore growth opportunities for our clients with our core capabilities that we kind of sit on. And these include things like retail experience design, retail marketing. We do a lot of e-commerce and social commerce activations. Connected commerce media is also a huge capability, brand communications activation, technology innovation, and then obviously data. And that's kind of the team that I sit on. So I've been with Integer for six years and I'm part of the, I'm the VP of Future and AI, which is part of our growth sciences group. And the growth sciences team is a full service analytics offering. We offer any, like a suite of products, performance analytics, dashboarding design, media modeling, attribution, and then machine learning, AI, and internet of things. And those are kind of the last areas, machine learning, AI, and, and internet of things and innovation is kind of what rolls up in, in, underneath my team. And so we look at any kind of human-facing interacting AI. So that would include like building out chatbots and voice skills or even beacon integration. Like how do we become really smart about how we do that? Or even, you know, like emotional intelligence and how that's starting to play a really big part within retail, right? Mm -hmm. And then from a machine learning standpoint, we kind of work on building 
any kind of AI or ML solution based off of client ask and the business challenges that, that they're facing. So as long as we have a really good data set and an objective, there's a variety of different tools that we can build and, and already kind of sit on. Great. So 2020 was a difficult year for everyone, obviously. Absolutely. As an agency focused heavily in retail, what was 2020 like for you? Well, I would say that everyone was affected by COVID to some degree, and especially the advertising industry was hit significantly hard. You're seeing new stories everywhere. I would say that that we as Integer were luckier than most, as most of as our clients are very CPG kind of CPG retail driven type of clients, right? So these were considered essential products right at the beginning of shutdown and throughout the year. And so they actually saw significant growth in several different areas, some clients more than others, for sure. But what was very interesting and kind of what changed for us, especially on my team, is that they started to engage with us in certain areas that they had never engaged with us before, especially when it came to like the e-com space, digital space, like how do you become really, really smart using data? How can you accelerate your efforts using intelligence? And that was really interesting to see. And so we were, we were really, really busy last year. Great. So COVID obviously accelerated the shift to online ordering, home delivery, curbside pickup. Once things stabilize, more people are vaccinated and less averse to in-store visits. What do you think retail will look like? We feel that a lot of these shifts in behavior are here to stay. We have an entire team that is kind of focused on looking at these shifts and behaviors and, and the lasting impact that it's going to have within the marketplace. There is a white paper that they actually publish on a quarterly basis. It's called The Next Normal. If anyone's interested in reading it, you can go to integer.com. But it really goes into depth and tracks a lot of these changes happening in the marketplace. But truthfully, like COVID has really given a new meaning to digital connections. And I do think that those are here to stay. You know, like if you think about even my parents who refuse to interact really with e-commerce on a grander scale or even pick up their groceries they wanted to physically touch the things that they were buying. Mm -hmm. All of those things have kind of shifted for them and they're finding it easier, right? In order to do that, they're like, oh, this wasn't as hard as I thought. And so I think that there was actually a study done by McKinsey and it showed that COVID has accelerated digital adoption by three years. So that's a significant statistic because if you think about that, mm -hmm. anything that would have been adopted three years from now was adopted in, what was it, like nine or 10 months, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of like this online e-commerce ecosystem or even immersive commerce is kind of what we're calling it is a huge opportunity point for us. And, and we're exploring several options and, you know, obviously delivering some solutions there for clients, which is really interesting. But yeah, so significant changes. I do think a lot of those are going to be here to stay for sure. What about the experience of just walking into a store, walking into a mall? Do you've feel that I assume the numbers, I haven't seen exactly what it is, but I assume the numbers are down based on where they were before pre-pandemic. Do you think they'll ever return to that number and, and maybe potentially expand? And if so, what are some of the things that you can do to encourage that behavior? Yeah. So I think everybody's kind of tired of staying at home and are wanting to have more of a physical experience. And I mean, I can talk from personal experience. I actually Never really liked going shopping a whole lot when it was busy and different things like that, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think traffic right now is still down because there's still a lot of concerns in the marketplace, obviously, about COVID and vaccinations and different things like that as we're getting people vaccinated. But I do think that people will be going back and they will be wanting to have that physical 
experience. Like they want to see the things and touch the items that they're buying. But I think at the same time, it's going to be different because they're so used to now being able to buy everything online that the physical retail center is going to have to become more of an experience versus solely just focused on driving that sale. And so I think there's going to be some really interesting opportunities that come out of that. How do you really design experience around it, right? And then how do you actually measure what is driving like the sentiment of the consumer versus actual sale? And so those are, that's some of the work that, that my team is actually focused on and, and really excited about. Great. What is Integer's group point of view on identity and how does that play into the work you do for clients? So it's incredibly important to everything that we do, right? Like the collecting, storing, or the analysis of this data. But PII has always really been a problem for ad agencies, especially as we get into security data sharing, et cetera. I mean, you see this with what happened with Facebook, right? And Cambridge Analytica and different things like that. How can you be really, really secure with data? And so our point of view truly is that consumer data should never be owned by us, nor should we ever see it. It should be owned by the clients, right? And I feel that the industry has handled how they have handled it in the past has really led to the implementation of like GDPR, CCPA, all those kind of regulations that we're now facing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not complaining about it. I think it's the, those are the right steps that we need to take to ensure privacy of consumers. But just saying that we've kind of put ourselves in this position, position right? But from my perspective, when I look at identity, it is not really important for me to identify the actual consumer. So like email addresses, phone numbers, households, like those types of things don't really mean a whole lot to me. What I really want to know is why. Why are you purchasing certain things? Why do you go to a store on Saturday versus Sunday? Why did you buy this product versus this product? What are the cultural aspects of the things that, are, that you're buying? So for me, it's about the psycho- psychographics. So the enrichment of identities, if you want to look at it that way. Mm-hmm to look at like attributes, who make you who you are. And I think that is kind of the important thing, right? How do you start to enrich the data? How do you tie this together? But then also keeping the consumer data safe. Can you give me a tangible example or use case of how you do that? Yeah, for sure. So just to give you an example, like we have one client who has a lot of customer uh, PAI data, like they're sitting on a lot of email addresses, phone numbers. They really have no idea who these customers truly are. They just have the email addresses and phone numbers, right? Mm -hmm. And so in this case, what we would do is we would facilitate a partnership between an ID resolution vendor like you, right? Mm -hmm. And then also within the client. So we kind of play the role of consultant in this case. We may actually also bring additional third-party vendors into play, like depending on what objectives they're trying to reach, what attributes we're trying to get to in order to be able to meet and address those objectives. I mean, this could be anything like location, purchase data through IRI or Nielsen, those types of things. Mm -hmm. And then once a relationship is facilitated, what we do is we just ensure that the proper data flows are in place. And then the matching and enrichment truly happens between the client and vendor. And so that's kind of how we work with clients today when it comes to identity resolution. Great. What are you most excited about in the future? I mean, I think obviously with the cookie dying, I think there's going to be really, really interesting techniques, solutions, and products that are going to come out of this. I think there's a lot of vendors that are doing some really interesting things in this space already. And I feel like what has been missing in the past was that we are now as an advertising and marketing landscape sitting on a lot of really interesting AI solutions that don't actually require for you to be able to 
target on a one-to-one level, right? Or that a cookie is not really necessary. Like how can we become more contextually relevant? I think it's going to be really important. And so I'm really excited about where some of that work is going and what is going to happen there. At the same time, I'm really interested in technology when it comes to ID resolution. Just as an example, and I believe you guys work with this company already, but they're called Carlsgate. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. We've formed a partnership with them, right? As a kind of a place where we can provide information that's your personal PII, basically. No no one, go ahead. Yeah, exactly exactly what you're saying. Like no data is ever shared, right? So when you're thinking about the privacy and the privacy concerns of consumers and data being shared across multiple partners and what's happening to my data, right? Mm -hmm. The code is just implemented on the client side and vendor side. And so the match then happens on both ends versus the data ever being sent. It's just like the the match data sets are kind of like a like a ping, right? It happens in between uh, whenever it's uh, coming across from both ends. And so again, no, you don't have to worry about data sharing. Nobody is is enriching their data set by sending another data set to the client. You don't have to worry about it, it being deleted and all of those rules and regulations that typically come along. So that's mm-hmm. opening a lot of doors, I think, with clients who you know had really, really sensitive data that weren't allowed to share it or send it in any direction. And so that's interesting. That's really interesting technology. Have you sensed an interest in your client base? I'm sorry to interrupt you on this one oh, specifically yeah, yeah. No, for good. this use case. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because we do work with some clients who have sensitive data, like that is centered around government and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And so where they've never really been able to enrich data sets or something because they're not allowed to send that consumer data anywhere. Like those are interesting things that they're now starting to see and are able to enrich their own data sets without actually having to share anything. So it's opening a lot of doors, that kind of technology as well. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is zero party data. That's an interesting topic that we've started to explore as well. How can you put consumers at the center? Like how can you give them the right to their own data? And if they do want to sell it, let them sell it, right? Mm -hmm. So there's some options along those lines too that are becoming very interesting. What's your favorite online or offline resource that keeps you up to speed with what's happening in the space with so much going on? It's And you're obviously so knowledgeable (laughs) about the space. Please pass on some of your secrets. Where do you like to go? (laughs) Well, I mean, I read a lot. I really do. I mean, I get up at six and I, I'm one of those people who don't pick up their phone right off the bat. I actually sit there for an hour and then I read. And so it's probably like two to three books a week. Mm-hmm. And it ranges from any topics from the future of AI to data analytics, but then also entertainment. Like I, I love books just in general. I think it gets my mind space, opens ideas, right? But obviously, Harvard Business Review has some really, really good content out there about AI in the future, especially around like the ethics and moral implications of data privacy and where all of that is going. But I also follow the Institute for Future Thinking, who have really interesting content. They actually teach classes on Coursera. They teach classes on their website that you can sign up for. They have seminars. So really, really interesting topics from a variety of different subjects and categories. But I also read things like Wired Magazine. And yes, I do actually subscribe still to the physical magazine. There's something about flipping pages. I don't know. I agree with you. I know, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Better than swiping with your finger across an app, for sure. Mm -hmm. And then I also subscribe to a variety of different blogs, like AdAge, obviously, DeepAI, Smart Insights, Tech Target, etc. Great. Where can our audience go to learn a little bit more about you? 
You can find me on LinkedIn. So my profile URL, I think is LinkedIn at Heidi or it's Heidi Bailey 22. Mm-hmm. And then you can also email me if you just want to have a conversation. I'm always open to conversations. It's hbailey at integer.com. Great. A few more questions, if you don't mind, they're a little bit off what we had spoken on before. I'd like to touch a little bit on Amazon and its influence in the retail space. If you're working with your clients, how do your clients view Amazon? Number one. And number two, what is the future here with Amazon? Is it, it seems to me they're just growing bigger and stronger every day. And just hearing how I just found out recently they bought a garage door company. So now they're you're able to just open up the garage and leave the packages inside. It's, it's amazing to me. Every, every day, it seems like there's something new that's coming out of that company. Love to get your opinion on them. Yeah, for sure. And then obviously, these are kind of my views, but I feel like there's a love-hate relationship with Amazon for sure, because it's almost like you have to be in that space to continue to succeed because they just do it so well, right? Fulfillment, Mm -hmm. the buying experience, all of the different things. And then on the negative side, you're looking at every time you do executions with them, even we do explore a lot of data storage solutions, obviously, and data solutions with them. But every time you do that, are they getting smarter? What's happening here in regards to how they can then innovate and understand understand the space and how they can become better than everyone, right? Mm -hmm. But what I find really interesting about Amazon, what they've been doing really, really well, and same thing with the bigger vendors like Google and Facebook and stuff like that are doing the same thing. But they've essentially established kind of like AI factories that sit at the center, right? So you see kind of like a traditionally focused firm that when they start to scale up and when they start to have a lot of like, think about just a retailer, a physical retailer, the more people that come to buy, the more people they have to hire internally in order to facilitate and continue to drive good customer relationships and different things like that. Mm-hmm. From this perspective, with kind of this AI factory and digital digitalization sitting kind of at the center, they are able to scale very, very quickly without in- interrupting or having to hire massive amounts of people, at least internally from their internal perspective, right? So very interesting how they're able to then scale and produce products so much faster than anyone else, just because of the way that they're structured. So very interesting learnings there. But I think a lot of that stuff could be replicated on a smaller scale across other organizations in order to drive digital efficiency. And so, yeah, again, it's kind of like love-hate, right? Like they're doing things really, really well, but at the same time, they're continuing to grow so massively that it's kind of hard to see where they're going to stop. You mentioned the future retail, a big part of it is going to be the experience, right? Really creating Mm -hmm. experiences for people who will, instead of just clicking on their computer, they actually want to go out and see a product or experience something in a retail store that they can't get online. Do you know of any companies now that you think are kind of doing a good job in this area or are planning to with some innovative ideas? And if so, could you share those with us? Yeah, for sure. So there was a, and oh my goodness, the name is, I can't think of the name of this company, but it was an athleisure wear out of Austin, Texas. Okay. And they were doing, and this is actually like three years ago where they did these activations. So you just had to have the app downloaded on your phone. Mm -hmm. And whenever they launched a new clothing line, they would send you push notifications and do different things like that with an email or whatever, right? Saying, hey, this is about to launch. If you can't make it to one of our stores, just look at the hotspots on the map inside of your app. And what they had done is created a geofence within these specific areas around the country. 
And I was actually in New York at the time when one of the clothing, when I think this was the first time they had done this experience. And I was at a conference of some kind and I had like a two hour break. And so I went to Central Park. I knew that this clothing line was was going to drop. And so I basically went to where it told me to go, like within the app, it kind of took me where the geofence was set. And then once I entered, entered there, you just open the app and then it turned into an augmented experience. I could just scan my phone and it looked like a store. It looked like the clothes were on clothing racks and different things like that. And you could actually walk towards them with, and you're still holding your phone though, right? Like you would walk towards like one rack versus the other. And then you mm-hmm. could click on it and choose a color, choose a size, add it instantly to your box, check out with Apple Pay. And then it, it, they was like, great, we're going to send this to your house. I mean, it was such an interesting experience and I haven't really seen anyone replicate it to that extent. And I think it's like a great opportunity still for other retailers to kind of take part in. Interesting. I mentioned, I also recall in a previous conversation, you mentioned Michael's, I think it was Michael's or Joanne that had really kind of redone their retail location. Could you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And it was Michael's. Yes. So prior to COVID, I actually preferred to go to other hobby and craft stores just because I always felt like Michael's was really, really cluttered. The aisles were really tight and you just walked around and, and it wasn't a great shopping experience. And then during COVID, they truly made, at least here in the Dallas area, and I've been to a few stores now, made a significant effort to open up the space and create almost like these inspiration stations, right? So versus you going up and down aisles and looking at or trying to find these different products, they said, hey, here's some great ideas for you guys to do at home, you know, if you're stuck at home or different things like that. But then they had all the different supplies that would lead to this kind of project within one big wall, right? And then they took several different aisles away and opened up the spaces and really decluttered the store. It's been a great shopping experience. I actually prefer to go there now versus others. And it's always a great experience. Great. Heidi, I look forward to every conversation I have with you because I learned something (laughs) new in every discussion. Final question. I know you talked a little bit about your practice of getting up early to read for an hour, which I think is an excellent piece of advice for our listeners. Any other, I'd love to hear any other life lessons you've learned or any other suggestions for people who are just starting out in their career who might be listening to this, especially from the female perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I think where AI is going, there's so many opportunity areas within AI, right? One of my passion points right now and something that I've been studying and looking, uh, researching and and looking into and kind of figuring out way to actually bring this to life within my organization, but it's truly the future of work. It's centered, it's definitely centered around AI and how that's going to impact everything that we do. But I think what is missing a lot of the times from a lot of perspectives, right? When you think about how media is talking about AI or even how Hollywood portrays it, right? Like it's this big Terminator thing that's going to take over the world and those types of things. Right. But I feel like it's more centered around how technology and how AI can enhance the different things that you do. Like, just think about it, like from a perspective of your iPhone or your phone, your smartphone, like all of us are walking around with massive amounts of algorithms and AI is actually delivering data to us in real time. And it's almost like we feel like we can't do anything without it. Like Google maps, right? Our email is sent to us paying bills, like everything. And so from that perspective, if you take a look at that and how technology and AI can kind of enhance your work and what you do, I think that's where all of the different skill sets are going to come into play for, for any future roles. It's the people who can open up their mind to then figure out, like it's basically 
not saying that you should automatically go into data science and you should be technology focused and stuff like that. It's almost like creatives as well, right? How can you be really creative? How can you and strategic about the future so that you can start to reimagine processes? Like if I'm a creative sitting here and I could have some sort of iPhone type tool that allows for me and enhances my abilities to do my job so much better, then what would that be, right? Mm -hmm. And those, like, I think that the big ideas are actually going to come from people like that. They're not going to come from people who are, and they might, I'm not saying that they're not going to, but I'm just saying like those who can creatively think about the future. I think that's where a lot of the ideas and the cool new jobs are going to be for sure. Even within DEI type of efforts too, I think is going to be so important because we always have to think about how, if we do start to implement AI, if we do start to implement these processes, if we're continuing to talk about consumer data that, in that regard, how can you still implement ethical standards around what you're doing? And then be, be able to question AIs. Don't just take it for granted or just don't say, yeah, okay, AI said this, that's what we're going to do. You have to be able to question it and understand what it's what it can do and what it can do. Great, great input there and advice. And I really appreciate your time today, Heidi. Heidi Bailey of the Integer Group. Can't thank you enough for your participation on Infutur's Identity Revolution podcast. Really great discussion and uh, look forward to hopefully having you on again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you, Heidi. All right, thank you. Thanks again for listening to Identity Revolution. For more data-driven discussion, subscribe to Identity Revolution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more on how Infutor can improve your data strategy across your entire enterprise, visit infutor.com.